Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Previously on The Mike Wise Show. This is David Stern, and I'm going to be on The Mike Wise Podcast on Pure Hoops Media. And say hello to Bruce Bernstein for me. Hey, Bruce. David Stern says hello. That was the late NBA commissioner, David Stern, from the very last sit-down interview he did in late October of 2019, less than two months before he passed away. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we're looking back at some of our most memorable moments as we do our 140th and final show. More on that later on. We're coming to you from Ciudad de Mexico, but first, Darlene has to thank that's Spanish for do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post and ESPN. He's also a wise ass and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Gracias, Darlene. We did our very first Mike Wise show on January 14th of 2019. From the very beginning, we wanted to be the kind of show that offered substance and great discussions. Our very first guest was Jamal Crawford, one of the greatest six men in NBA history. When we visited with Jamal nearly three years ago, he had just completed his 19th season. And during that time, he played for 19 different head coaches. I asked him if he could name all of them in order. You played in the NBA for 19 seasons. You're right. Okay, You're let me right. hear. Okay, let me hear. All right, Tim Floyd. Okay. Bill, are you right? Are you jotting this down? Yes, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm well, I'm, I'm. Here's what I'm doing. I'm. You, the story I did in the Undefeated actually had Lisa Salter's interview with you, and I actually wrote every. You know, I actually quoted the uh, video, and so I. So I got the list right here. You can't. You cannot stump me on this one, my friend. Okay, all right. Tim Floyd, <laughs> Bill Carwright, mm -hmm. Bill Berry, Pete Myers, Scott Skiles, uh, where did I go after that? New York. So then it was uh, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Brown, Mike D'Antoni. Then where did I go after that? Golden State. So then it was uh, Don Nelson. Then after that, it was Larry Drew, Mike Woodson. After that, it was Caleb Canales, named McMillan. <laughs> After that, it was uh, Benny Del Negro. It was Doc Rivers. And then it was uh, Tom Thibodeau. And it is Igor, Coach Igor. Oh, man. That's impressive. To this day, I'm blown away not just by Jamal Crawford's career, Bruce, but more than that, I think the way, you know, like he developed as a person in the NBA. Um, one of the things he told me when I did that long feature on him years ago was that he was one of the young knuckleheads that stood in the back of the bus and started yelling at family members 
until a couple of veterans turned around, I think when he was with the Knicks or the Bulls or something and said like, what are you doing? And it was like a, a process of growing up and mature, maturity development, not just as a player, but as a person that like to this day, I think the guy's going to be a general manager um, or he's going to run for office somewhere because he doesn't just have the charisma. He just gets it. And it took him a while to, I mean, he came into the NBA when he was like 19 or 20 and I look at him now and I don't know, he's just a fully developed, you know, great father. I've uh, been to his house in Seattle um, uh, just a smart guy. And anyway, you like him too, I know, but probably for different reasons. Well, you know, I'm just so impressed with Jamal, as are you as a human being. And, you know, it's funny, 18 months after that conversation, okay, Jay Crossover played his final NBA game for the Brooklyn Nets. He scored five points in six minutes for his 20th NBA coach, and that was Jacques Vaughn. So, I was really. We don't even know, know. By the way, we don't even know who Coach Igor is. What's his? What's Coach Igor's last name? Kus, I don't even remember. Kuskoff or whatever. He was the guy uh, in a, Phoenix in before Phoenix, Monty yeah. Williams. Before that's Monty right. Williams took over, but you know, and Jamal has always been about helping the community, putting his money where his mouth is. Just a wonderful, wonderful human being, and it was so. It was such a treat to be able to talk to him on on our very first show all all those years ago. Yeah, uh, I want to add real quick, like one of the things in the story, I don't even remember if we got into it on the podcast was, you know, I was told by someone else, and then he confirmed it, that in his second year in the league, he played these summer games with Jordan as he was trying his comeback in with the Wizards in 2000. Jordan was getting ready and, and Jamal went to Hoops the Gym and trained with Michael and they said, and he said they never lost in a pickup game all summer when he was on Jordan's team. And he was, you know, and it was just, it was an amazing experience for him. But the flip side of it was, you know, Jordan sort of brought him into his circle and he, the, Jordan had these after hours gambling games at his restaurant blue and Jamal Crawford was playing dice and sort of like was up 10 grand and then just started losing and losing. And every time you put up two fingers, it meant that you, you were in for another two grand. Jamal Crawford admitted to me that he lost about $170,000. And he turned over um, at the end of the night this, to these Detroit gamblers um, that were brought down by, God bless him, William Wesley <laughs> helped organize these games for uh, the, these gambling games at night in Chicago at, at Michael Jordan's restaurant. My, um, he walked into the parking lot and gave one of these gamblers the keys to his Mercedes and he opened the trunk and gave the guy the keys. He just opened the trunk and he took out his basketball and he walked back into the uh, restaurant. That was a 19, 20 year old kid that lost all kinds of money. Couldn't afford to lose that kind of money. And now you look at him and he's just like, no, that's not who I am. That's, you know, that was, that was me. And I, you know, I, I, I grew up, I got older, I got smarter. And um, anyway, I was kind of pumped about yeah, that. When it, yeah. But, um, no, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And clearly somebody who did make some mistakes in his youth, but like highly intelligent people tend to do, learn from his mistakes, didn't repeat them, and went on to what should be a Hall of Fame career. I agree, too. And I think you hit it on the head. He, he, he didn't, his, his mistakes didn't define him. He learned from them and he turned into something else.
All right, we move on. Over the years, we've been fortunate to have three different NBA owners, excuse me, governors, as guests on the Mike Wise Show. Milwaukee Bucks co-owner Mark Lazary, now an NBA champion, joined me in early June of 2019. Of course, we talked about his hopes for the franchise, but we also had to ask about his budding acting career. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show, the live edition with Bucks owner Mark Lazary. Good to meet you, sir. Pleasure. I, you know, I've heard a lot about you. I've listened to podcasts. I, I got to say, I, I also saw you in Billions once. And in hindsight, I'm a little disappointed. Mark Cuban got more airtime than you. I know it's bullshit. It's just wrong. I, that's what I thought. I know. I'm such a better actor. It's it, not even close. You can't even, I mean, he's better on Shark Tank, where he's sort of really nickel and diming the guys on, uh, on the set. You actually throw some action in there. What do you, why do you think that happened? Um, I don't know. I think it was just the way they ended up doing the show. Uh, the, the one I was on was an ideas dinner. Yeah. So it was kind of different. Um, I was supposed to be on it again this year, but I was traveling, so I couldn't do it. So I'll, I'll come back next year for a bigger and better part. <laughs> you turned down billions. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I do work. have a day job. So. Mark Lazary has done his day job exceptionally well as he celebrated his Bucks winning the NBA title in 2021, the first for the franchise in 50 years. You got to go back to Oscar and Lou Alcindor before he was Kareem. Oh, maybe he was Kareem by then. We know NBA governors are a competitive lot. And when Mavericks owner Mark Cuban joined the show in March of 2020, he respectfully disagreed with Mark Lazary's claim that the Milwaukee boss was the better actor of the two. Before we get serious, I need to tell you that Mark Lazary also appeared on Billions and claims that it was bullshit that Mark Cuban got more FaceTime than he did. I need you to respond to that. That's awful. I'm a better actor. I'm a better actor. He <laughs> Just tell him to go watch those eight episodes of Entourage plus the Entourage movie that I was in, season seven. Well, look, um, I was just on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just my acting skills. People clamor to have me on the TV show. <laughs> this is true. I forgot that you were tight with Vince and the boys for a while. Oh, That's... and let me let's not let us not all forget or ever forget Sharknado 3, where I played the president of the United States. <laughs> That's right. Sharknado 3. I can't imagine. Um, I, the funny thing is, is this is sad. This is a very sad statement about our country right now. But most of America would take you and Sharknado 3 over what we've got <laughs> in the Oval Office. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing was they first offered it to Donald Trump. And, and when he no. hesitated, they came to me and I said yes. And, you know. I did not know. Who knows? Maybe if he had been in Sharknado 3, it would all be different. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when was Sharknado 3 made? This is an incredible 2015. Trivia. What's 2015? 2015. Oh, my God. Uh, at least he would have had some on-the-job training. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, me shooting the heads off of sharks, you know, coming out of the sky. Oh, yeah. That was and tremendous. the best part was Ann Coulter was my vice president. <laughs> oh, jeez. How do we go from controversial Ann Coulter, who once joked with me in Twitter that I'd had no hair after I said she was an awful person for saying that soccer is a lousy sport, um, to the warm and wonderful Jeannie Buss. That is a tough segue. But Jeannie has been a friend of mine for many years, and she was a two-time guest on the show. Jeannie's second appearance was shortly after her Los Angeles Lakers won the 2020 NBA championship in the Orlando bubble. 
Although the year 2020 ended on a happy note for Jeannie with banner number 17 for the Lakers, the year began with a lot of sadness as she lost her mom in December 19, followed by David Stern in January of 2020. They were closer than anybody really knows. And the devastating loss, shocking loss for all of us, but really uh, especially for her, of Kobe Bryant, fewer than four weeks later. We both needed a box of Kleenex during this exchange. I lost my mother in mid-December. I lost David Stern right after the, the new year. And then we lost Kobe Bryant shortly afterwards. And it was, it seemed such a heavy burden of, you know, how, how am I going to handle this and losing, you know, these important people in my life. And, you know, what I, what I talked about was how Laker Nation was, you know, we, we came together, like, in, in, and, you know, in, in periods of mourning and grief, you have to have community. You have to have people that you can lean on because otherwise you feel alone and isolated. And, and um, you know, when, when Kobe passed, you know, he, he, was, he was a source of strength for me. Um, one of the last conversations we had was he called me because my mother had passed away and he had heard she passed away and he wanted to check in on me. This was a person who I loved dearly and, and I thought I would have the rest of my life is in terms of a sounding board for the Lakers and, and just things that were going on. And he, um, you know, we, we asked the league, you know, uh, you know, the night before he passed away, LeBron broke one of his records and Kobe called him to congratulate him on, on passing his record. And, you know, we, we just had this, there's great synergy of, of you know, Rob Palinka as running our front office is, was Kobe's best friend. And that we just had this like strong group of people connected. And so I asked the league, you know, can you please, um, can we please not play the next game? We need time. Like there's, the players are, it's, it's really taking a toll emotionally on our players, on our staff. And, you know, and, and we were scheduled to play the Clippers and the Clippers graciously agreed, you know, to postpone the game because we were in this state. And, um, you know, it, 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 it um, you know, when we did finally come back and play, LeBron made a speech where he he said to Laker Nation, like, you know, I'm strong, you know, lean on me, you know, I've got broad shoulders. And that's what we did. Laker Nation leaned on LeBron to, to lead us in this grieving process. And it kind of became this, you know, this part of the season of keeping Kobe close to our hearts. Kobe's death is still hard to digest almost two years later. The Lakers Arena, Staples Center, will soon be renamed the Crypto.com Arena, <laughs> although many Lakers fans call it the house that Kobe built. 
Eventually, a statue of Kobe will be unveiled at the arena alongside other Laker legends. Um, I think, Bruce, didn't she tell us on that podcast that um, that LeBron would get a statue at some point? She did say that. Yeah. And so, so you know, whatever. I doesn't, it's like very small in the whole scope of things. But I like that she wasn't afraid to go there with us. And, uh, and people forget about her mom. Like Jerry Buss, of course, the Lakers um owner for many years divorced them divorced her mother very young Jeannie was a product of a broken family but remained close to her mother whom a lot of people didn't know and we talked about her mom it was I don't know you you, you don't get that kind of this is the thing I will I will always um uh hang my hat on about this show is we got people to talk about things that they normally wouldn't talk about that went so far outside of basketball well, and, and a classic example of that is the is the David Stern sit down. And we're going to hear a little kind of a humorous clip from that coming up in a few minutes. But yeah, and you know, we, you know, so much of the credit for that goes to you, Mike, because, you know, your friendship with Jeannie, um, your friendship with Mark Cuban, um, those people, you know, they opened up to you in a way that a lot of people aren't able to, you know, elicit that kind of you know, emotional and personal content from them. So it's been one of the true pleasures for me working on this show with you that we were able to get three of the top owners in the NBA. Oh, by the way, all three of whom has have championship rings. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dallas, Milwaukee. That's right. We don't, we don't bring any, we don't bring anybody else. We don't bring anybody without a title on the show. That's an owner. We don't no, do if that you're an things. owner and you don't have a ring. I mean, you know, sorry, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll just yeah, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Harrison, you're, you're welcome. Robert Sarver, not so much. <laughs> but um, that, I think that just goes to one of the things that, you know, one of our goals with this show always was to sort of take it to a little bit of higher level. We weren't a clickbait show. We were really interested in, in smart content, smart discussion. And, and, you know, thanks to you uh, and your ability to tell stories and to kind of get folks to talk some really raw and real conversation. Well, look, I, I am great, Bruce. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, <laughs> oh, God, this is the Mutual Admiration Society. I'm such a goof. Uh, they say the NBA commissioner works for the 30 team owners like Jeannie Cuban and Mark Lazary. But during David Stern's 30-year reign as commissioner, it always seemed the other way around. After he retired as the NBA's boss in 2014, David opened a consulting business where he funded and advised startup companies. Uh, before he suffered a brain hemorrhage in December of 2019 that eventually took his life on New Year's Day of 2020, talk about an omen for a year, he welcomed us to his New York office for a wide ranging conversation about his life and career. It turned out to be the final sit down interview that he gave. He was reflective, wistful, playful, but he was also serious as when he discussed the state of the news media. His words from late October, 2019 ring as true today as they did more than two years ago when he spoke. And I look at what our business has become. It's, it's almost become toxic where Someone told me recently that, that I'm very close to, he said, there's an unholy alliance right now between teams and a few media sources in which P 
people used to break stories in the local markets because they worked their butts off and they worked their asses yeah. off covering those teams. And nowadays, those stories are giving to these national outlets because of fear that they're going to have something bad written about yeah, them. And I thought, yeah. what kind of freaking media environment is that? Yeah, well, that's... And, and a couple of savage you, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and I've been okay. very... I've, defense, I've, been, <laughs> no, I've defended I, you, know, even though you've been an asshole at times to different people. You've been a very... Moi? Shocker, I know. I would Sh- never... What kind of language is that to use You're right, you're right, you're okay. right. And this is okay. a great no, thing but is, I, You're right. I understand it completely. Yeah. But, and, and your former newspaper is, in my view, is fallen on very difficult times. Oh, clearly. Because they, I see certain reporters that focus on issues, but they only see it in one way. And it goes both ways. It isn't conservative versus liberal, just yeah. whatever their perspective is. And they're allowed to do it, and there's no one editing what they're doing or overseeing it's their It's a content story. thing where they just don't care. They, they just want content. It's sort of, you know, what the old wooden thing. Activity doesn't equal achievement. Okay. <laughs> I did, did we just finish the lightning round? No, no, no. This is the, the lightning rounds right after this. I know you, um, well, you better hurry. Up yeah. So, so the, what I wanted to get at is, is there anything that really bothers you about the media today or any, any no, certain writer, the, any certain? No, okay. nothing. It just, just the fact that I know what I'm going to read in the New York Times editorial page, and I know what I'm going to read in the Wall Street Journal editorial page. I know what I'm going to see on MSNBC. I know what I'm going to see on Fox. I, I yearn for the day when there wasn't a point of view that permeated everything. That was dope. <laughs> Bruce and I both had longtime relationships and even friendships, I can say, with David Stern. His loss affected us deeply, and we even sat together at his memorial service, which took place in Radio City Music Hall in January of 2020, just before the COVID-19 pandemic turned the world upside down. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because I had an adversarial relationship with him, but respectful when I covered him for the New York Times as the NBA writer. When I became a columnist of the Washington Post, um, I not became more sympathetic, but could either call him out or um, uh, say he did a great job, depending on what was going on with him. Um, I'll still never, and I know this uh, was in the podcast, but I'll still never forget the day, Bruce, when he called me up in the Washington Post sports department and I swear everybody knew that this was going on because I was talking to Gilbert Arenas on the other line after he, after Gilbert Arenas had been briefly suspended for um, at that time for mimicking finger guns after the gun incident in the Wizards locker room between he and Javaris Crittenden, who, gosh, Javaris Crittenden ended up as a convicted murderer and he's still he's serving a life sentence in Atlanta. But here's the deal. Um, on the other line, David Stern called me and said, I want, if you're, I go, David, you're not going to believe this, but I'm talking to Gilbert Arenas on the other line right now. And he goes, I want you to hang up on Gilbert. And he said, but before you hang up on him, tell him it's not personal. I like him. I just don't want to see him uh, get in his own way anymore and hurt the league anymore. And at that moment, David Stern gets on the other line and tells me he's suspending Gilbert Arenas for the season. Not because he's a lousy human being, but because he thinks that this is detrimental to the NBA. He's mocking the gun situation with pointing finger guns during a huddle and it's, it's over. 
for Gilbert Arenas at that point. Gilbert Arenas' career never got better after that. He had a couple moments. He came back from a knee, knee injury, and he's got all the money in the world. I, that one broke my heart in a way, but, but um, beyond, beyond everything, David Stern was head and shoulders a person before he was a commissioner. And he was totally dedicated towards growing the NBA, expanding the NBA. Uh, he made a lot of unpopular decisions, you know, such as the dress code. But he was all about the integrity of the game. And he was also all about the integrity of the players. I mean, one of the stories that he told during the podcast, and I know you'll remember this, was when Slam Magazine did a cover photo of Allen Iverson where they airbrushed all of his tattoos off. And David yes. said, I went ballistic because it was inauthentic. He wanted players to, yeah, he wanted, it's funny, Kevin Blackstone, who you know, um, and I know, and who's, well, I respect him um, uh, greatly as a journalist and I would say a peripheral friend that I've known for a while. He, he and I disagree. He thinks Stern wanted it both ways and um, also, um, wanted to make sure that his players didn't have tats and uh, wore their shirts correctly and basically, you know, uh, kowtowed to the palatable white uh, audiences and the paying ticket brokers. And I could see some of that. And I can, all, and David Stern even talked about this during our podcast. I asked him flat out, you know, about does he ever regret that um, Donald Sterling, he had a chance to throw him out of the league when when he had um, he'd been uh, cited for discriminatory housing practices, he was basically a slumlord in LA, and he he was he was making sure that black renters didn't rent in his didn't rent from his uh, housing projects, and that right there had that happened in today's environment, Donald Sterling would have been out of the NBA long before he he dropped the N word in a uh, in a phone call that was later leaked to TMZ. Um, and David Stern, even, I think he, he, I can't remember how much he, he uh, regretted it, but he said something about it. And, and, uh, but I still look at him as this guy that was, you know, I'll, I'll just say it. And I think you agree, the greatest commissioner in the history of modern professional sports. Adam Silver may uh, top that legacy in 20 years. Um, who knows? It won't be Rob Ramfred and it won't be Roger Goodell. I can tell you that right damn sure. Well, my own personal experiences with David went on for quite some time. Uh, during my ESPN years, uh, I worked with him on the NBA draft, and my job during the draft was to basically be connected to him and to be the go-between. I was considered the producer of the commissioner during those shows, and I did that with him for about 12 or 13 years. And uh, there were some tense moments along the way, believe me. That, that was a high-pressure situation because... While it was a live TV show uh, and I was dealing with the truck and coordinating when he would go out, when he when he would not go out, um, he was never happy with the pace. He always felt that the show was going too slowly and he wanted to go, go, go. And there were times when I had to basically physically block him from going out <laughs> to the podium because they were either in a commercial or there was an interview going on and the producer wasn't ready. 
But and and he got mad at me a few times. But over the years, we developed a deep respect and appreciation for each other because he knew that I was doing my job and that I wasn't really intimidated by him. I mean, it was you know you, you can't but not be a little bit intimidated by him. But at the same time, you know I, I was what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, well what I was you, you know doing? I was in my late forties, early fifties by then, so I wasn't exactly a rookie. Um, but you can here's kick the his thing ass about David. if it came to a physical altercation. <laughs> I was a little bigger, but I don't think I would have been able to get past the 10 bodyguards. No, he didn't have bodyguards. He didn't need them. But here's the yeah. thing, and here's what makes me miss David Stern more than anything else, okay? When I was yeah. Yeah. declared a free agent, I'm doing air quotes around that, at the end of 2017 from ESPN, I called David up. I said, David um, and his assistant, um, Linda Tossi, put me through. I said, David, I could really use some big brotherly advice. I told him what happened. I said, could I come down and just talk to you for a little while? And he said, yeah, come on down, you know, come on down and, and um, work it out with Linda. So I figured, okay, I, I put on good clothes. I got on the train. I came down from Connecticut. I figured, all right, I'll get a half hour with David and, you know, hopefully, you know, some words of wisdom. Well, he spent you know, an hour and 15 minutes with me. And not only was he trying to be helpful, he was like, a, he really was like a big brother, like a family member. And I think you will agree mm. with me when I say more than any other sports that you can cover, the NBA and the basketball, uh, you know, group, he really is a family. And he was like the dad. I remember specifically at the memorial service, all these, uh, all these people who gave eulogies, essentially spoke about how David had given them tough love and it was tough love with F-bombs and all these things. And you can understand how some people in his organization, the NBA, could take that as this guy's toxic top-down management. And I'm sure some people did. Others talk, others felt that he essentially gave them the kick in the ass they needed to be who they could be. And it's always a fine line. Who do you motivate? Who doesn't need to be you know, motivated like that? And if you're doing a one size fits all kind of discipline thing, you're, you're, you're as rotten as Bobby Knight. But David Stern was different. And he was, a, he, he was a kind man, although he could be a volatile man. And like the guy was a legend. He was a, he was a huge personality and, uh, and we miss him to this day. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. I'm proud of a lot of other stuff too, by the way. I mean, when Monica McNutt came on here and I think we both shared tears over the racial reckoning stuff in America, you know, I, I, one of the things I'm going to miss about this whole adventure is wh whatever it was, when we had Eric Newman at the All-Star Game, uh, you know, Howard Beck, Frank Isola, some of the, our Harvey Ariton, some of the people that I've not just become uh, colleagues with over the years, but good friends. And, um, you know, and I just felt like we, we treated a lot of issues on this show with the respect and the gravitas they deserved. I'll never apologize for any of my positions on this show. I probably had some cringe questions that made you think, what are the what the hell are you doing wise but i remember one <laughs> which one <laughs> we were talking to ann myers drysdale and uh and she she married you know the late hall of famer don drysdale and he was 
quite a few years older than than Annie. Yeah. Remember that? That's right. What did I'm I? I'm not going to go into I... the details, but if people want to, no, no, hear but it. go ahead. Go ahead because it's funny. In hindsight, it's funny. At the time, it was it was cringeworthy. <laughs> she, you said something like, "Well, you know, when 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 you married Don Drysdale." He really robbed the cradle and she's like looking at you like what are you talking about but we know what you were talking about there was a pretty big age difference there yeah yeah i don't know why she ever didn't acknowledge that in fact that was a that was a perfectly no she needed a better sense of humor it's all that's all i loved annie she needed a better sense of humor annie is um, annie is a wonderful wonderful person and we were very grateful for her for making time for us you are not going to, she's not going to hear this. You can trash her if you want, Bruce. Okay. That's I not mean, my style, on. Mike. <laughs> but it's mine. Well, uh, maybe that's uh, why this uh, is our last show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As I said at the start of the show, this will be the final episode of the Mike Wise Show. Uh, my producer and frequent co-host, Bruce Bernstein, produced all 140 episodes. And look, I don't, I'm just going to be transparent with people. Um, we we tried to get an investor to pick up Pure Hoops Media for a long time, and and it was it's one of the most ridiculous things in the history of acquisitions that nobody did reach out and give us the money we needed to make this really go. So look, it could still happen. I'm just disappointed that it didn't. And look, let's be honest. I'm in Mexico. I'm working on this Billy Mills book. You've got your YouTube channel now. You've got some other projects going. Eric Newman has basically left us for the documentary world. He basically, he looks down on us, Bruce. Um, but, but the bottom line is, this was a fun, um, this, was, this was what I would call one of the most fun work environments I've ever been a part of. And sometimes we were together. Most of the time we were on, uh, on the video. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this. And, you know, yeah, Shaq will call every now and then and I'll throw together a show with you and we'll put it up there and hopefully somebody will bite. Um, at some point, I wish we could get some young people like Monica McNutt and King McClure. I love both of them. You know, they can't go on Shark Tank and freaking pitch this to Cuban. He's not going to take my old ass. What? Here's the thing. For anybody who's listening to this show, all of the Pure Hoops Media podcasts that we've done over the past three years, and there are in excess of 1,000 of them, okay, um, they're all going to be up there, and people can still go back and listen if they'd like. Uh, and look, I'm hopeful that maybe after the fact, somebody might decide that, you know what, those guys were kind of onto something, those guys and those women, by the way, Monica, of course, and others. Um, so maybe somebody at one point will say, you know what, um, that stuff wasn't bad. And we have the ability to resurrect this operation pretty much, you know, on a very short term notice. I mean, we're not a cruise ship, we're a speedboat. So we can turn pretty quickly. So if anybody out there has liked what we've done and wanted to, you know, resurrect this, we're always open to discussing it. Um, and uh, as you said, um, we, you know, I still feel, and I, and I'm, and I'm going to speak for you on this one. I still believe our best work is still in front of us. It's just a matter of the right platform, the right situation. And Mike, it's been truly one of the blessings of my career 
to be able to work with you. You were somebody that I always admired. We first started working together at ESPN. You were on the undefeated. And I said, I got to get that guy on SportsCenter. I got to get that. I got to get that guy. And I didn't know you at all. So I just kind of said, hey, Mike, I introduced myself. And you were super cool. And you were always great. I remember the all, couple all-star games we were at together. Not only, uh, you know, we were there when Mark Stein got the, the, uh, the the um the award to be in the writer's wing we were there for other things award yeah 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 so we had you know we packed a lot of memories and a lot of good times into our six or seven years of collaboration and you know what you have not seen the last of me mike wise i promise you this is not the last (laughs) podcast we're ever going to do we will be back as arnold once said or i'll be back you'll be back we'll be back yeah yeah, I almost have, like there's a melancholy coming over me now about the whole thing because I, I even though I'm in Mexico and I got 20 other things going on, I love man, I, I had fun with you. Um, I don't, I don't regret any of this. This was fun, and I'm, and I'm glad that you were a part of it. And look, I, I feel like I got to know your family even peripherally, and I became part of it in a, uh, in another form, in another way. And so, look, man, this has been great. Um, I hope we can do something in the future, and, um, and you know happy trails. I don't, uh, I'm going to take this out by myself, but and I really mean this. Um, there was a writer for the New York times a long time ago. His name was John McCandless Phillips. And he left journalism. He was better than Russ, Russell Baker, better than James Reston, better than shoot David Halberstam. He was in that group and he, he left the business and they asked him years later why. And he said, um, his, his line was perfect. It was, um, if you're covering something that's moving and you're not moved by it, you won't move anyone with it. And so I, everybody that's out there listening, if what you're doing isn't moving you, find something else because you won't move anything. You won't move anyone with what you're doing. Um, if it's a financial thing, I understand. But you want to, you want to, when you're on your deathbed, you want to feel good about your life. And so that's my parting words. And uh, man, love you, guy. Love you, guy. Love you too, Mike. You're the best, man. We will talk soon. And uh, like I said, if you haven't seen the last of me, Mike Wise. (laughs) The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.